and thank you for joining us for another episode of Hope for Healthcare with Dr. Katie Cole in partnership with ICD Healthcare Network. Dr. Katie Cole is a holistic physician, organizational well-being consultant, and change agent, working with industry leaders and proven strategies to heal our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. Stay tuned to hear today's speaker. Welcome everyone to Hope for Healthcare. This is a podcast in which we interview expert leaders around the country on best practices for healing our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. I want to extend a very warm welcome today to Dr. Christina Maslach. Dr. Maslach is the pioneer of research on job burnout, producing the standard assessment tool, the Maslach Burnout Inventory, award-winning articles, and several books, beginning with Burnout, The Cost of Caring in 1982. Her research and achievements over the past five decades have led to multiple awards from the National Academy of Sciences, Western Psychological Association, Society for Personality and Social Psychology, and many others. In addition, she has received awards for her outstanding teaching, including USA Professor of the Year in 1997. She has been a professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley since 1971, having completed her doctoral degree at Stanford and her college education at Harvard. She is now a core researcher at the Healthy Workplaces Center at UC Berkeley and resides in San Francisco. Well, welcome, Dr. Maslach. It is truly an honor to have you with us today. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm glad we were able to do this. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know I met you briefly last January at the Burnout Symposium in San That's Francisco. Right. And you spoke on the topic of burnout. And, you know, burnout has become such a hot topic over the past, especially the past several years in healthcare with our unfolding global pandemic. Would you mind going into detail about the definition of burnout and why it's important for us to understand this? And it, right. Thanks for that question, because uh, as you probably know, burnout gets used by people to mean all kinds of different things sometimes. So trying to be clear on what we mean by you know job burnout as we see it in healthcare, I think is important. So the first thing to say is that, before defining it, is to say that burnout is a response to chronic job stressors in the workplace that have not been successfully managed. Mm -hmm. And what that means is it's a basic stress response, which all human beings have, thankfully, to respond to threats and challenges. Uh, and uh, But the fact that it's chronic stressors is really an important point because we don't recover as well and come back as well from chronic stressors. That means they're high frequency. They're there most of the time, every day, you know, the pebbles in your shoe that just wear you down, wear you out, erode your soul. Mm -hmm. um, so, but as World Health Organization said, that the stressors have not been successfully managed, mm -hmm. has an optimistic note of they could be, you know, we could do something about these and uh, and make it less likely uh, that this would happen in, in, in some way. So there's, you know, sort of a positive note about that. Now, the experience that people have when they have this kind of burnout in response to those chronic stressors uh, reflects a mismatch between them and their and their job. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's really three interrelated components of the experience. Uh, one is the stress response, which is exhaustion. Uh, and this is you just are so overwhelmed and tired and can't, you know, get up in the morning and, you know, get going for the for the next day. There's basically too much work to do and not enough resources, time, people, equipment, you know, whatever uh, on that. So that's that's one. So it's a stress response. But there's more to burnout than that. The second part of it, which for me is really the hallmark of burnout, is this growing negative, hostile, cynical, take this job and shove it kind of attitude about the workplace and your, your, what you're functioning in it. And what's important about that is as you begin to withdraw from the workplace, you begin to try and switch to doing the bare minimum. You're not really trying to push to do your very best. Uh, so it has real consequences for everybody else, whether it's patients or colleagues or, you know, whoever who are affected by that, that change in behavior because of this cynicism, you know. Um, and the third thing we see is uh, a negative response, not just to the job, but to oneself. Mm -hmm. And what's wrong with me? Why can't I handle all of this? Um, you know, particularly... People have often talked about people in healthcare being more perfectionistic. You know, you're expected like, oh, you've got to save everybody and do everything and, you know, whatever. And if you ever fall short in some way or feel it because you didn't do your best or whatever, it's a negative a sense of your own professional effectiveness. Okay. And that can lead to anxiety, depression, you know not wanting to get out of bed in the morning yes. <laughs> to face another day. Um, Absolutely. So that's, that's the burnout experience, the exhaustion, the cynicism and the, the drop in, you know, professional effectiveness uh, mm -hmm. on that. And when you get that, those three together, then we're really talking about a, a bad case of job burnout. Oh, absolutely. So Christina or Dr. Maslach, either. <laughs> Christina's fine. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to ask you that ahead of time. So Christina. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what you're really saying is that we have a normal, valid human response to chronic workplace stress. Right, right. Consistent across cultures, even globally, right? As human beings, this is the triad of yeah. symptoms that we experience in response. Yeah, we see it in many different professions. I mean, we started doing research on this decades ago, and healthcare was certainly in there uh, as as one of the ones that was already talking about it and and raising the issue. But we're seeing a similar phenomenon in a lot of different professions. You know, whether it's teachers in schools or tech workers or you know people in financial services. I mean, you just you know, there's just and we see it in different countries. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been a lot of global research um, uh, as well as been done on that, and so. Uh, yes, that that kind of interrelated exhaustion, cynicism, you know, drop in, in effectiveness is, yeah, that's that's really the bad situation we call burnout. Absolutely. And, you know, it the definition of burnout encompasses both the systemic factors as well as the individual factors. So mm -hmm. individuals are having this human response to the workplace environment and the culture. Right. And so I really like how you're able to distinguish between the two in your definition. 
Yeah, no, it's, that's good. We're all working in a context, <laughs> you know, in the environment, and it has an effect. Uh, we need to recognize those. Well, and, you know, our audience, probably most everyone in our audience knows who you are, and mm -hmm. we know that you created the Maslach Burnout Inventory. Can you briefly review for us what, what factors that looks at with a healthcare organization or any organization, in fact? Um. The MBI, the Maslach Burnout Inventory, was designed as a research measure. It was, you know, after doing interviews and observations and, and places, and I was talking to one of my colleagues who's an expert in developing tests, you know, like this, and he said, you're hearing a similar story and you, you probably need to develop a measure that would get at that so you can really, you know, take your research to the next level. And with his guidance and help, uh, that's what I did along with a graduate student of mine at that time, uh, Susan Jackson, who's gone off to be a wonderful professor of her, on her own <laughs> on, in work issues. Um, and it was out of that research for many years uh, in the 70s and 80s, uh, early 80s, that we developed the measure. and discovered that those three components were actually important. We didn't start out with that as a definition. It actually emerged from the research. You know, we knew that it was there was a stress involved, uh, but we thought somehow it would all maybe come out in one score on a, <laughs> on a measure, but it didn't. Mm -hmm. And it kept, yeah. and as it got translated and we had other colleagues in other countries doing the same thing, they were finding the same three. Um, so that gave us additional evidence that, um, okay, we're on to something stress-related, but a little different, and we need to understand that. Mm -hmm. um, so a research measure is meant for discovery. In other words, it's not like a medical um, test, which mm -hmm. many people unfortunately think it is. Oh, I'll just take the test and see if I'm ill with burnout. You know, No, it's supposed to be or people will say, I had everybody in my organization fill out the test, tell me what it means. And I'm saying, but you didn't ask them any of the questions like, yeah. where they work or the kinds of you know stressors they face or anything like that, that tells you that burnout goes up when this happens, but it goes down when that happens, you know? So it's really, it's really more a discovery measure. It's not meant to be a clinical diagnostic tool. There's no clinical data that actually does that. And in fact, uh, it is not a clinical, it's not a clinical medical disease. It's not a mental illness. And yeah. a lot of people assume it must be, and it's not. And even the World Health Organization says it is not, not, not a medical disease. The American Psychiatric Association, you probably know, will not say this is pathology, exactly. you know. So it's, it's, um, you know, can people get to a point of struggling to deal with it or feeling really bad and depressed? Can it lead to other health problems like stress does? It can lead to heart attacks. You know, it can lead to other kinds of things. But in and of itself, it's not, you know, this medical or uh, illness or mental disease. And so um, it's wonderful to be able to use it in addition with other information to say, does this help us understand why it's occurring or where? Um, if you, if I can just add a little point here, to the extent that people focus on saying who is burning out, you know, who are the who are the people, you know, that we need to help, that we need to cure, that we, you know, whatever, or fire. I mean, from the job, whatever. Um, 
you're you're going to get who answers in terms of treatment or take a long weekend or do you know all of this kind of stuff but it it's the wrong question it's why are they burning out yeah. and we need to ask why uh, and that's where we need to look at the chronic job stressors. We need to look at what's going on in the environment, in the work situation and say, what's working well, what's not working so well. Um, and the why questions will give us a better sense of what we might do about it rather than the who. Mm -hmm. The who question also points a finger at people and blames the victim. It, you know, uh, I can't tell you how many people it's kind of like, well, what's wrong with you? I don't think there's, you know, everybody else isn't complaining. Well, maybe they know not to complain because they will get the finger pointed at them too. But if you're blaming the victim and blaming it, it adds to the stigma. It adds to uh, the reluctance of people to kind of raise their hand and say, wow, this is really stressing me out. Could we do something different? You know, is there a, a way to improve this? So I think we need to um, uh, not use the measure itself as a way of saying it's about an individual problem. Individuals may be giving us information, but when we aggregate it and look at it in diff from different angles in terms of who the people are, where, where they're working, you know, it's a different job situation for women with children, you know, and, and who are mothers, you know, of youngsters or something, as opposed to those who children are grown or don't have, I mean, you know, so you need to take into account a lot of um, things that really are relevant to the match or the fit, you know, between people and their job, and that will change over time. And uh, so it's sort of a, a continuing, okay, what would be best now? Yeah, and, you know, well, actually, for the audience, you know, Dr. Maslach has a new book coming out. It's called The Burnout Challenge, and I was lucky enough to get a copy of this for today to, to look at. And, you know, it's a wonderful book, and she really outlines with her colleague, and I'm going to um, mispronounce his name probably, but Dr. Leiter. No, no, you're right. Michael Leiter. Leiter. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they co-authored this book and they really outline uh, the definition of burnout, how it's impacting healthcare along with other organizations globally. And they go into even change management processes, which I particularly love. And, you know, really what you address is that it's going to take an approach, a whole system approach to resolving burnout, right? So of course, you know, 20% of burnout is related to individual factors versus more 80% is systemic, um, organizational we've talked about, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I guess what you were talking about earlier, like taking, you know, getting enough sleep, trying to stay healthy, learning mindfulness, you know, mm -hmm. that can all be helpful in terms of maybe creating a little bit of a buffer between your workplace and you, but until you address the pebbles in your shoe, right? Or the system factors that are creating the stress, um, it's not it's not going to have much of an impact. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. That's true. And uh, I think, I mean, basically, what we see a lot of happening is uh, efforts to help people cope, right. which is fine. And good. And, you know, and that's where you, it's all the things about get, staying healthy and getting enough rest and, you know, and, 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 and so forth. But coping doesn't change the stressors. Mm -hmm. So it's just helping you to deal with the fact that the job is stressful. And if you're going to ever get to the point of preventing 
or reducing the risk of burnout, you really have to be focusing on the causes, not just the effects. And so prevention is rich, much more about what do we do to alleviate the stressors, remove them, uh, make them less harmful, uh, less frequent. I mean, there's a lot of ways depending on what those those pebbles are, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, but you need to have that as much as you need to have the coping because the coping often is helpful in the immediate and it's, it's often a short term, but it's not something for the long term. So for example, um, recently I was, you know, this earlier this year, I would get a lot of things from people in different organizations saying, you know, not healthcare because healthcare doesn't sort of fit into this category, but uh, how about we just take off for a whole week? Okay, we we'll just shut the company down for a week and uh, everybody will be off and then we'll come back and we won't have burnout anymore. Maybe you might have a vacation, depends what you do. Uh, maybe you get some rest and recovery and so forth. But if you come back to the same job stressors after a week, it's gone, burnout is back again. Um, and you know, if you're working in situations where there's really not any kind of, an off time. I mean, people will say, yeah, sleep more. Well, tell me, how can I do a job that's not taking up all my time at sleep and on the weekend and I come home and I work late, you know, or, or whatever. So, um, uh, you know, the, the, the coping is fine, but we need more attention to those larger systemic issues because those are the why, those are the causes, those are the things that will have a long-term effect. Mm -hmm. And we just need to kind of you know, it's not like doing some massive billion dollar thing of changing healthcare for the 21st century. It's doing the little stuff, the daily stuff, the chronic job stressor, pebble in your shoe stuff that will kind of make it a better fit, make it a better environment. People were, can thrive at what they're doing rather than get beaten down by the job. Uh, and that's really the, the uh, approach that we're, we're trying to take in terms of this relationship between those immediate job conditions and the people who are there trying to do their very best. Well, yeah. And that goes back to change management that you go, and I'm going to keep pulling up. Keep showing the book. Mind, but <laughs> it's a great book. You should order it immediately. I love yeah. it. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm a big right. fan, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, you go into change management, you know, it's really about, you know, when you, when you, as a system, when you decide to pick a few things on the front line that are really causing pebbles and shoes for everyone, the little annoying things every day, like not enough PPE or, mm. or you know, short staffed one medical assistant, it totally messes up the flow for the day. You know, when you address little things on the front line and people start to see change, like you said, you were going to do it and you did it and now it's better. Oh, actually yeah. it's possible. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's like a reward, you know, it kind of is encouraging and hopeful and inspiring and mm -hmm. you get buy-in from everyone on the change management process. So they have yeah. to see results. Otherwise you don't get buy-in. Yeah, no, those are excellent points. And I think it does build hope and it builds optimism. If we could fix that, mm -hmm. Hey, we could go, <laughs> how about this over here? You know? So you want to start actually in a sense, small, that doesn't mean unimportant, but things that are doable, that are clearly on people's uh, list of, <laughs> could we do something about that? And making that happen and say, you know, 
there is a way in which we could improve things. Uh, and it's much more of a, if I can point this out, it's much more of a we process and not just me, you know, what can I do, which coping tends to be more of that, not always, but how can I take care of myself? What do I do for myself? Um, but when you're talking about the job conditions, you're not working in a monastic cell, you're working with other people. Mm -hmm. And so if there are changes, it's kind of like, it's got to be something that is, we're all on board to kind of move over and make it happen this way and get rid of the stuff over here that's, that's, that's doing it. So it needs to be a more social shared, you know, our work environment kind of thing, which means I might add that the maxim that you often hear that one size fits all not, no, yeah. <laughs> there yeah. is no one thing. I don't care what it is mm -hmm. that will work for everybody in the hospital or the clinic and the different units and stuff like that. And you have to customize to who we are and what we're doing, you know, kind of thing. And um, there may be, what we, which we hope to sort of lay out in the book, some generic principles that are good, mm -hmm. but how you implement them really has to be something that takes into account you know, where this office, you know, this testing facility, this, you know, surgery unit, this pediatric, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, and, but it can be done and we see it being done. And it's really, it's, it's, and it gets people involved, but it gets people feeling like they're being heard mm -hmm. and they have a say, you know, they may not come up with the best idea, but at least they're involved in sort of thinking through what are the pros and cons of doing it, A or B or C, you know, and which one do we, let's, let's get behind this one and see what we can make happen. Yeah. Well, you're really talking about um, a collaborative, collaborative approach to changing our culture of medicine and healthcare too. And it takes everyone and everyone has a good idea. Yeah. Everyone has a perspective that could be really beneficial to the organization. So I think yeah. including everyone, especially on the front line and decision-making and process changes is, is just foundational. Yeah, it yeah. is. It, it really is. And in that regard, I, I, I might add that, um, I don't know if we have a different name for it now, but it used to be that we would talk about walk around leadership oh. and walk around leadership meant that uh, the people in the C-suite, in the higher ups, you know, whatever, made regular trips to the different units and the departments. And it's in a sense, it's walking around the floor where people are doing the work that needs to get done in this place and getting to know people and they getting to recognize and know them and be able to talk about how are things going and where are we running into some problems? Are there some thoughts about, you know, what we could do differently? Uh, you know, things are going well, wonderful. I'm, you know, proud of you, all that kind of stuff. And it makes such a difference because then people feel, you know, on both sides that they're known, that they're recognized, that they have a place to, you know, participate and contribute. They know where to go. If they run into stuff, they can count on their first line managers or, you know, who will take some of the issues up to say, we need to do this better. Um, and, uh, it still makes a huge difference. Um, but I often have gone into different, you know, places to do interviews and get data and it's not happening. You know, people are asked to fill out a survey once a year, maybe, you know, on, on various things. 
never hear back, never know what's happened. After a while, say, forget the survey. I'll just make it up, you know, and um, uh, it's, 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 not, it's not helping, you know, to us to do a, a better job under these circumstances. And even when things really got bad during COVID, you know, particularly in healthcare and people, it's like, it wasn't even clear what the protocol should be, you know, what the evidence base was, whether, you know, how much at risk you were yourself, you know, for getting this, for passing it on. I mean, all of these kind of things. Um, just knowing that everybody is particularly upper leadership is behind you trying to figure this out, work with you to, you know, say, how are we, how are we going to, you know, move forward on this? So it's, it's really, I can't emphasize how important that sense of collaboration at all different levels is. Um, so it's not just top down, it's bottom up, it's sideways. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, um, I, I want to bring up Dr. Paul Lashant. He's one of our friends and colleagues, and he actually specializes in one aspect of this in terms of implementing huddles in which management attends. There's leadership training for everyone, and it's top-down, bottom-up leadership approach where things get mentioned that need to be changed on the front line, and then they actually get changed. So yeah. everyone see, gets that immediate feedback and, you know, things are in place to support that change process. Right. Um, so I think that's, right. that's a really valid point, Christina. Yeah. And it's, it's great that he has been able to bring that, you know, from someone who has both a MD and the yeah. business <laughs> expertise, uh, you know, to that, to really look at issues around, you know, burnout and physician yeah. burnout in particular. Yeah. Well, so one of the things I wanted to talk with you about also is, you know, you talk a lot about an ideal job and person match throughout your book and in your, in your yeah. talks. Can you talk to us about what are the top mismatches between a person in their job yeah. situation and what would be an ideal match? Yeah. Knowing that we never really get to an ideal because it, it was always shifting sands, you know, <laughs> but you're always striving to, could it be better, yes. you know, um, yes. than, than what it is. Um, so what, has come out in the research so far is six different areas uh, in which a mismatch or a, you know bad fit between people and their work environment, their job conditions, uh, in you know a bad fit leading to a greater risk of burnout. And conversely, if you get a better match and work on that, then you're promoting the the possibility of greater engagement, you know, with with the job. So these six areas, um, and I'll name them in order of um, how well known they are, I think, <laughs> and, uh, you know, any other thing, but they're all, they're all important in different ways. So the one that everybody thinks about first is workload, uh, and you've got too much to do. And as I mentioned, the, the imbalance there is that the demands are high, but the resources that you have to get it done and done well are low. Um, and so people have too much to do. There's not the stuff like you were saying, especially early on in the pandemic of protective equipment and, you know, all sorts of things that, that just, you know, are difficult. Um, what you want to be aiming for in a, in a better match is a sustainable workload. It's like there are days where you're working hard. There are days where you have lesser kind of things. There's a way in which you have enough time to recover, come back ready to go the next day and feel feel good about that. So the workload clearly um, has a, a really direct impact on exhaustion and the stress if it's just, just out of line. 
But the thing that people often say about workload is really the second area. And these, by the way, these six areas overlap. They're not independent of each other. But the second thing is often is control, having some sort of autonomy, control, discretion, some say about how you do your work or how you have to course correct if something unexpected comes up, you know, that kind of thing. Or are you locked into you have to do it this way, you can't do it any other way. Um, so people are often talking about uh, an uncontrollable workload. It's not how much work there is, but the lack of, you know, some authority and autonomy that I bring to it based on all the training I have to do this kind of work. And, uh, you know, and people, I, I think this is control more than workload, but control is really an important one in healthcare. Uh, and it's again, it's been getting worse for many years, even pre-pandemic. So that's, that's an issue. Um, uh, and, you know, better match, you want to have some sort of appropriate level of say and, you know, and choice and, uh, you know, ability of doing things. A third area is what we call reward. And that is positive feedback for a job that's well done. Mm -hmm. uh, so you work hard, you do various kinds of things, you've done some special things. And like, does anybody notice? Does anybody pat you on the back? Do you get social recognition? Um, People often think of reward in terms of money, like salary or benefits, but it turns out in the research that the recognition is the thing that keeps popping up a lot, you know, saying like, uh, you know, and I would often when I would early on in my interviews, what I'd be talking with people in healthcare, human services, uh, say, so tell me about, you know, what's a good day? Tell me about a bad day, you know, that kind of thing. And a good day, people would often kind of pause a good day nothing bad happened. That was about as much as you could say. Oh, you know? no. <laughs> uh, I remember talking to pediatric oh. dentists and there was a pause and we said, no screamers. Okay. So, you know, it's not that there were good things happening. It was the absence of bad stuff, which meant that normally you were having a lot of bad stuff. There were complaints or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Or People say, well, you know, why? That's your job. Why? Why am I supposed to say thank you? Come on, you know, it's it's uh, you know, so that kind of recognition, this sort of sense that you have made a um, a contribution that people are pleased and you know proud of it, that they've learned from it, that you know you have a place there is really an important thing. Um, fourth area is what we call community, and it means the workplace community. So it's who whose people, you know, what other people do, uh, have paths that you cross, you know, mm -hmm. often. Uh, so there's colleagues, there's your bosses or managers, there's the people you supervise, there's, you know, the other people on the team, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, is there trust? Is there support? Is there willingness to, you know, when we disagree to figure out how we're going to come together and move forward? Or is there what people have been calling increasingly in recent years, a socially toxic workplace mm -hmm. where there is um, uncivil behavior, uh, uh, nasty remarks, bullying, uh, harassment, you know, uh, lack of trust and support. You have a sense that people will throw you under the bus if you say anything like, oh, God, that was, I'm not sure that worked so well today, you know, kind of, oh, okay, okay. What's wrong with you? You're not, you know, you're not perfect, you know, whatever. And 
We know from psychology, other social sciences, that one of the most important things for human beings to thrive is to have other people, mm -hmm. your family, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, your, you know, wherever that you can rely on, they can rely on you, you exchange things, your friends, you do things, you know, bad stuff happens, we, we figure out how to fix it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and when that, I can't say social network anymore, then that social ties between people begin to get eroded through burn, you know, yeah. through this, this um, toxic workplace community, then people can feel very, very alone, isolated, no help, nowhere to turn, because they're worried about what might happen if they disclose that I'm feeling stressed, or I've had a bad day, or I could use some help, or can I just cry on your shoulder, or <laughs> whatever that is. Um, and that was happening long before the pandemic, but it's certainly um, one of the things we hear about a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember, if I can just take a moment, uh, visiting pre-pandemic, a uh, pediatric hospital, uh, and they asked me to come and speak and, and do stuff. And I remember they had set up, in addition to a talk, there was a, a lunchtime meeting with physicians and food was all laid out. And I, you know, they brought me there and I was waiting and in came everybody and everybody started going, oh my God, I haven't seen you in how many weeks now? How's your son doing? You, you know, uh, you know, did you do da, 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 and people were hugging and they were laughing and they were, you know, everybody was talking to each other. And the staff member came over and said, oh, Dr. Maslach, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. They're all, they're not paying attention. They're, they're all getting, I said, let, let it go. I mean, you know, for a little bit. And I finally, finally, they kind of all settled down. And I said, you guys don't see each other very much, do you? And they just broke out into this hysterical laughter about, no, we don't anymore. Wow. We're not seeing each other over lunch or break or coffee or after work. We are too busy. We are doing other stuff uh, that has to get done. So I don't see people, I sit at my desk or I sit wherever and get out of a bag lunch or, you know, whatever. And what they were saying is clearly love getting together with colleagues who just, you know, not only about work issues, but just about getting to know each other. So we know who I can turn to when I need somebody to, to go to, or they've been put in different units and now the physical barriers to, you know, actually meeting each other mm -hmm. have gone down. Um, and it was, it was striking, you know, uh, how they were all working in the same place, but they were not able to get together very often, if at all. Mm -hmm. And they, we had a big discussion about, you know, what are ways we could build this in to their routine and all the other things that they had to do. So that community is an important thing. Um, the fifth area, uh, fairness. So whatever the rules, whatever the processes, the practices, they're fairly applied to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, so people have the same chances uh, to get ahead or get the window office or to get the, you know, the new assignment or a, a, a new opportunity that comes along or something like that. Um, when it's unfair, when people are being treated unfair, this is where discrimination lives. This is where glass ceilings are. This is where um, the wrong people are getting rewarded in a sense, you know, they're cheating, they're kind of, you know, lying, brown nosing or whatever to get ahead. And, um, and the cynicism can really begin to skyrocket 
when people are working in these kinds of environments and feeling, wait a minute, this is not, you know, we're preaching something, but we're practicing something else, which is really different. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's, that will lead people, um, I mean, we can make changes there too, but some people will just leave. And then finally, the last six area is values or meaning in work. And this is, you know, in some sense, why am I in healthcare? What did I want to be able to do and accomplish and contribute and help? And, you know, uh, why is, why is this the choice I made that I, that I believe in? And if I end up working in an organization that kind of supports those values of, you know, really making sure all children are healthy and get a good start in life, or, you know, when people have problems that we're able to provide, you know, some kinds of treatments that help them understand what they can do differently, et cetera, uh, they get injured, we can, we can repair um, and, and bring back to better health. Uh, but if you're working in an environment with ethical conflicts uh, where you're caught in those kind of things where um, uh, people are not kind of abiding by what we what we preach and what we believe in uh, and uh, are I mean, in healthcare we've I've seen a lot of this recently moral injury when people talk about this they're talking about how I have to do things that feel really bad or even wrong and it's not because I'm doing it I'm choosing to do that the system is forcing me into that kind of position uh, so it's the moral injury. It's, um, uh, I, as you know, in the book, I, I used one example uh, of a, an emergency doctor uh, who had a career in the military, came in, and worked in, in a hospital and burned out, even though it was looked like a good job and was paying well. And she just said, I'm just, uh, the reason they want me there is to make money. And that's not why I went in. I'm being treated like a worker bee. I, I can't do this anymore. And she finally left, she quit, you know, and this happens often with people in the value conflicts. And she took another job where she's working in a children's hospital at a pay cut, but she feels like, yes, this is why I'm here. This is why I want to, you know, uh, the kind of environment in which I, is better for me to do the work to help children. Um, before it was, you know, soldiers, you know, in, in the battlefield. But um, so those six areas, workload, control, reward, community, fairness, and values are the six in which, you know, you want to assess what's working well and where are they in there is some trouble, you know, or things that we could turn around. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's unexpected. People keep saying, oh, it'll be the workload or it'll be the reward, you know, because people complain about salary. Sometimes it turns out it's fairness. Sometimes it turns out it's, you know, Michael Leiter, my colleague on this, has done a lot of research in hospitals in Canada, uh, particularly not just physicians, but often with nurses, you know, around issues of civility and how we treat each other on the job. Mm -hmm. Should be our closest allies because we know what we're going through. And yet sometimes we become each other's worst enemies and really not the, you know. So anyway, um, yeah. And you, can you turn that around? All his research says, yeah, he turned it around in six months, turned it around a year. I mean, you look again, it's a year later, still looking good. And um, so, yeah, it's possible to make improvements in that. Um, well, you're an optimist, Christina, and so am I. So <laughs> that's why yes. I call this podcast Hope for Healthcare, because, you know, 
despite all the things that aren't going well in healthcare, we do do a lot of things very well. And we are also committed to this, to this profession on the, especially the frontline workers and healthcare workers. So um, I do believe that we can make a difference. I think as an individual clinician, you know, if you read this book, <laughs> it might give you some ideas on your own, you know, understand your values and what you want in a job. And if, you know, there's a couple of things that need to change for you, for you to feel more content and joy, and yeah. that's possible work on that. But if, if it's a definite mismatch in all six categories, you know, consider a different employment opportunity, um, that would be more of a match. So I think, I just wanted to bring that up because I think yeah. it's, it's ideally, I want everyone to try to work with where they are, um, <laughs> yeah. but that isn't, that isn't always the case. And so Sometimes we don't want to lose do, people yeah. out of healthcare. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's true. And it's um, the other thing I just want to say is that uh, I have found over the years, particularly in talking with people in healthcare, I've often, you know, asked afterwards, you know, if ever, you come across something or you develop something or you're part of something that seems to make a difference. Let me know because everybody asks me, what's the answer? And I don't have it necessarily mm -hmm. for what do you do in this kind of setting? I can talk more generically about, okay, what some of the issues are and so forth. And so some of the things that we talked about as examples in the book came from just that, you know, people contacting me after we met at some, you know, healthcare conference or, you know, whatever, and say, can I tell you what we did with our team? I said, yes. <laughs> and then they just, you know, they developed something they called a cuddle huddle. And it was kind of like, it solved a number of these issues that they hadn't even really thought about, but now they recognize, oh yeah, it happened by accident, but we, we figured out a better way to work together. And now it's, it's working more effectively great, let me pass this on, like in this book or wherever, uh, you know, that they they recognized uh, where some of the mismatches were and made some changes that actually helped, so. Well, and I know we're kind of winding down with time, but Christina, is there any message that you want to leave with our audience today or anything that I didn't get a chance to ask you that you'd like to <laughs> um, So much, right? <laughs> so there's a lot, there's a lot, and um uh, I think one of the things is that understanding that burnout is not a pathology or a disease, that it's actually a good response to stressors at first, but because it's chronic stressors, it's not a good, I mean, our bodies were not really meant, we as human beings were not meant to be under stress all the time. So that's where the problem becomes. Uh, that the coping, uh, you know, is not actually getting you into a better place, you know, to be functioning in some way. Uh, that understanding that relationship between you and other people and the job and looking for where are the things working well, where are they not, using those six areas as kind of guideposts to think about, you know, think about the community or oh, think about reward. I hadn't really, you know, in the recognition or think about fairness um, may give you some new starting points, you know, some things that say, ah, oh, we could do something about there. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I would say is, and again, I think this is a healthcare concept that we need to sort of share more broadly. Um, and that is that we should be doing 
organizational health checkups, just like we do personal individual health checkups. Uh, and a checkup means you're going in to see about how you're functioning, you know, in, in, in many ways, not because you're sick, not because you're injured, because there's an emergency or a crisis. It's just to see how you're doing. Is things going well? Are there some warning signs? Is there some suggestion that you may need to do this or that to be healthier? Or we're beginning to see, you know, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And so with the organizational checkup, we shouldn't just be responding, oh my God, we're in crisis. You know, that's not the time you know, to do this, <laughs> but to again, have a regular time where we sort of say, how are things working? What's going well? What could we even improve upon there? But what's not? The world will always be changing. Uh, we just saw that in a big way in terms of the COVID pandemic, but it always does. I mean, the way I used to teach and other people taught 50 years ago, not the same as it is now, given all kinds of new advances and how we understand learning and technology and all, you know. So you always have to be sort of adapting to get a better fit a better match between here's the job and here's what we can do. And now we have something new, so we don't have to do that. We could do this. Um, so it should be that continuing process of checking in and seeing how we're doing. And it should be a regular agenda item that however often you think it's necessary, but you know, a few months, every year, whatever, <laughs> to sort of do kind of a spring cleaning on our whole work process. What can we get rid of? What can we change? How could we improve it? How can we make it a, as good an environment as we can for us mm -hmm. to do as good a job as we really want to do and, you know, and can do and have been trained to do? Yeah. And I really love your term organizational checkup. I yeah. think that's a great metaphor for preventive care, right? That's yeah. how we have annual checkups for preventive care. Yeah. And within, you know, you've given so many solutions today and through your, through your writing and through your other books as well, that if organizations have a framework and a roadmap of what they can do when these little things come up during the evaluation, it's yeah. less intimidating and overwhelming. Yeah. The, the other thing in alignment with that is that, as I mentioned before, um, there's often such a stigma about you know, disclosing any kind of um, stress or, you know, mental tribulation or, you know, whatever uh, kind of thing. And people have uh, often asked me, okay, so do, do I have to go to my boss and say I'm burned out and, you know, disclose and, and ask for some accommodation or something like that? And basically my answer has been no, because I don't think that's the most effective way of doing it. You're just going to get the, vic you know, the pointing at the victim and you know all that what's your problem and kind of thing but you don't need to disclose burnout in order to say can we start a better process of checking in and making sure that we're improving the work conditions mm -hmm. you know on a regular basis so it's not about saying who's burned out who's burned out it's kind of saying we all would like to be able to you know do well and thrive here uh, and can we have a way in which we kind of routinely do more of the preventive care that you're talking about? Mm -hmm. So that takes, 
it off individual people's shoulders as, oh, I have to be the one who says I'm burned. Am I the only one who's burned out because nobody else is, you know, that kind of, no, yeah. you don't need to start improving the workplace by having burnout first. You know, <laughs> it's, um, we, we talk in the book about um, an analogy that, that burnout is more analogous to the canary in the coal mine in the sense that it's not about let's fix the bird and make it, you know, tougher and tell it to take a long weekend. It'll be okay. You know, kind of thing. The bird is telling us this is not a great environment. It's a signal. It's mm -hmm. a warning sign. And uh, burnout in some ways, we know that uh, a lot of people may not be completely burned out in the terms of those three things, but enough less than wonderful, less than engaged that they could profit as well, you know, by whatever kind of improvements we could make in the environment. And so in some sense, if we kind of reframe the question, not about who is burning out, but how do we make workplaces a better place for everyone mm -hmm. to do well, uh, then yeah, rising tide lifts all boats. Why not? You know, kind of thing. So yeah. burnout again is the clue or maybe pointing. The challenge is to actually fix those relationships between people in their jobs so that all everybody, you know, uh, is feeling better about what they're doing and having a good life. <laughs> well, absolutely. And, you know, I urge everyone again, it's called the Burnout Challenge, and it'll be launched um, November 15th, 2022. So coming up in a few weeks, and I will be providing the links so you can order the book if you're interested and all the information that we talked about today and, and how to get in touch with Dr. Maslock if you have any questions as well. Okay. Yeah. So, well, thank you, Christina, for such an enlightening, inspirational conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're just such an optimist and <laughs> so many ideas of how we can really heal our culture of healthcare. And I'm grateful for the work that you've done over the past five decades and that you are continuing to do for our community. Okay. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. I really appreciate it. And, um, and I am just, um, happy by your reaction, your, you know, uh, being able to connect all of us in ways that I hope will lead to better outcomes for everybody. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. It's my hope too, that we, you know, together as a community, we can make change. And uh, again, I'm so grateful for you being on the podcast today. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you at the next conference. <laughs> okay. We'll all do right. that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Christina. Thank you so much.